starting in three, two, one. Are you guys fucking excited? Season 2 is coming, and this is Speak of the Devil, Episode 9. I am the Daredevil Prophet, and this is going to be one of my favorite episodes. Can I say it's my favorite episode? Ooh, I don't know. That last episode, that's episode 13 is just so cool, just because we get to finally see Matt... Uh, sort of culminate culminate into the hero that uh, that he's building up to becoming uh, from the very beginning from episode one. Everything is in that less in that last episode, and the final cli- climax, uh, the suit, everything so- sort of culminates in that last episode. But this episode, my God, this. This episode has so many ramifications and so many consequences and there's such a build up to it. This is definitely uh, probably my f- oh, gosh. If I had to choose, I I wouldn't be able to do it. This episode or season, or or episode 13, the final episode. We're getting into really really spiffy territory with with Daredevil and um, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. I mean, it, it, it's amazing how far we've come from the Daredevil movie seeing um, where, where, you know, seeing Ben Affleck portray him to see him portrayed in that light, to see him portrayed here is amazing. Um, the genre that they say that this is, is a, a crime drama series first and a superhero thing second. But it takes cues from a lot of good uh, shows that are on uh, HBO, um, stars, uh, in FX shows like The Wire, shows like Fargo. Um, this is really a slow burn kind of show, and we're starting to see significant things happen in the in really the last act of the season, and it starts right here, right now. We see Matt uh, not approaching the priest. But he's hanging out. This is a near perfect episode. I mean, pay no attention to the the big long hair that you see in the top of his uh, uh, on the top of his glasses in that last scene. Go back, look for it. It's there. Big giant eyebrow. Uh, what is that? Like an eyebrow lash or eyebrow hair just sticking out. Go back, look for it. It's there. This scene as well. Um, little out of focus at times on, on the priest. I've seen it that many times to where I've noticed it. Uh, 
Um, but a near perfect episode. So let's get into it a little bit. So let's start off with the name. Speak of the Devil. Great title. I've always loved the title. Um, you know, a lot of the titles didn't make sense to me when they came out. But obviously, as you watch the episode, you come to understand what they're about. You start to see that there is uh, uh, multiple meanings behind each uh, title, each episodic title. Uh, this one is Speak of the Devil. It's really cool because it, it it's it's clever and can be dissected in many ways. Obviously, having those multiple layers uh, woven into it. But whenever I read it, I replace speak as a verb. Here's a, a English lesson for you. To speak as a noun. So when you read it that way, speak of the devil actually comes alive as a new meaning. Speak of the devil rather than the phrase that we all know, speak of the devil. Um, so this is speak of the devil or in other words, talk or conversations or discussions of the devil. And we get right into that from the get go in this episode here, talking about Satan, talking about the devil, which by the way, the show is obviously advocating why Matt is called the devil of hell's kitchen. Nobody really calls him daredevil until the final episode. His reputation is being demonic and being devilish in his conquest against crime in his city. In Hell's Kitchen, no less. So, the name in the show is different from the name that we're given in the comics. Daredevil, in its original conception, is him being somebody who is not afraid to jump out of buildings without knowing where to land. Or without knowing where he's going to, you know, is there going to be a flagpole? Is there going to be, you know, like a soft landing wherever he's going to land? You know, he's jumping out of buildings and he doesn't know, you know, what's out the window. That's really where the name Daredevil came from. That's really where the, uh, the, 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 the line, the man without fear comes from in its original conception. Later on, both of those names, both of those titles um, took on different meanings later on. But originally, that's that's um, that that's what he was conceived as being um, sort of a circus element, sort of a, a fun loving um he was a Spider-Man type in his uh, original conception with uh, Stanley and Bill Everett. Uh, you know, donning the yellow costume. It was only a coincidence that he had horns on his head and later on his color turned to all red in his costume. In the comics, of course. Um, so here they're sort of um, uh, making the claim that he is not really Daredevil, 
but he is the devil of Hell's Kitchen. And of course, according to uh, crime, uh, he is definitely a, an adversary uh, that the that the priest speaks about. Speak of the devil. Uh, okay, so let's see. I love the scene with the priest. Uh, it takes place in a very quiet, uh, very intimate setting. Um, there's a lot of lines that have a lot of weight to them, a lot of gravitas. Um, I skipped over a lot of uh, lines that happened there in that in that first scene. So let me tackle a few things real quick about that first scene. First off, they talk about the devil as a concept. Now, they... Uh, the showrunners, the show Daredevil, the the content that is uh, under the Daredevil banner does tackle uh, biblical uh, uh, context. So I feel that that gives me license to talk about biblical context. So, and it's important to talk about because. It's so much a part of who Matt is and where Matt draws inspiration from. That's a great um, uh, insert of uh, Matt sort of uh, knowing where Ben Yurick's hand is when he's going to shake it, but selling the idea that he's blind. Um, it, it really gets across to Ben Yurick that he's... Uh, that he's blind, even though he knows probably where his hand is. Most, most definitely knows where his hand is. Um, another Captain America reference. Not too many uh, references to the MCU. But that's one of the few that you get from Foggy Nelson right there. Okay, so getting back to the idea of taking license because it's where the show goes. Not only in this episode. But also in the last episode as well, where Kingpin also talks about uh, a biblical parable. Okay, so they talk about the Daredevil as a concept. The Bible talks about the spirit of certain people, which is in reference to the characteristic rather than their actual spirit. This is a, a, a hard thing to sort of uh, grasp. Uh, one example that comes to mind is this spirit of Jezebel, which is uh, talked about uh, in the Bible. Uh, the character of Jezebel was somebody who um, was a woman who sort of um, uh, con connived uh, the husband that, that she was with to get her own way or for her own agenda. So when we talk about, uh, or when the show talks about the devil or, or anything like that, um, sometimes they're talking about the, the, the spirit of the devil. And it's funny because criminals refer to Matt as the devil. Uh, one of the, uh, the Russians referred to him as that. But Matt is struggling with the actual devil. Or not the actual devil, but he refers to Kingpin as the devil. And the priest 
just says, look, you know, the, the root word for, de- for for devil is adversary. So just as Matt is an adversary to crime, Kingpin is an adversary to Matt. And that's part of what he calls into question in this episode. Another example of spirit is the spirit of Antichrist. The Bible talks about the spirit of Antichrist. Many people throughout human history have taken on such a spirit, the spirit of the Antichrist, and have resembled the literal Antichrist and false prophet, such as Hitler and Mussolini, Nero and the political power of his day, and etc., so there have been people who have been believed to be the Antichrist in their day, but may not qualify completely. But they do take on that general spirit, uh, the spirit of uh, Hitler um, and the Jews, his, his oppression upon the Jews, uh, Nero and his oppression upon uh, the people of his day. And so, it, it, you know, it, it's referring to this idea of the, the spirit of such, not the literal possession, not the literal spirit, uh, not like not like the ghost of Jezebel, not the ghost of like the Antichrist or anything, not the ghost of the devil or anything like that. So that's very important to understand because that's what they're kind of talk about, talking about the, the priest is kind of referring to that as you know sort of it being uh, a a sort of uh spirit through osmosis and and um a, a characteristic uh rather than a, a literal spirit this is a really cool scene right here with nobu um they're just talking about real estate you know he's upset about real estate he wants what he wants and he kind of comes off bradish um, but he has somebody to answer to, um, and he's trying to make things happen in Hell's Kitchen with the Kingpin. Uh, it, it, it's it's a really um, dicey relationship. It's a fragile alliance between the Kingpin of the Underworld, of Hell's Kitchen, and this outsider who we've never really seen before in the MCU. Uh, The Hand has never had a presence, but they have a huge presence in the Marvel Universe, um, in the comics, uh, in Future Fight, uh, which is an app uh, that you can grab on iTunes. Uh, The Hand was a really, really great thing that was represented there. And also other countless video games in the past. Uh, let's see. Uh, X-Men The Last Stand comes to mind. Um, other other video games have had the hand. Um, also uh, the uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Which it makes me realize now that um, X-Men have used the hand a lot in their video games. Uh, under... You know, it being under Fox, they still like use the hand. Maybe back then because it was they, they still had the hand like they had uh, they had Daredevil back then. They had Elektra back then. 
the hand was in the electrofilm and also uh, as a sort of uh, side thugs um, in some of their uh, their X-Men video games. So the hand has had like a cool, calm presence here. It, it's kind of the same. We don't see the full hand ninja clan uh, represented here in this season. But make no mistake that the hand is part of the long game. The hand is going to be probably a bigger adversary to Daredevil than the Kingpin may actually be. And what's funny is that the Kingpin will tell uh, Wesley that uh, that they are a necessary evil. Wesley will call in question, you know, what is the hand in all of this? You know, what to the what do they bring to the table? And uh, Kingpin says they are a necessary evil. Uh, one of the things that uh, the Kingpin is alluding to is that they're act he's actually trying to woo the hand um, into sort of his circle because Fisk hires assassins in the comics, Bullseye, Elektra, etc. In the show, however, he's not using these sort of um, over-the-top type of assassins. He's using business partners. You know, he's already used his uh, his Russian uh, side of the business as his muscle to try and get rid of Daredevil. Now he's calling on Nobu. Little does Nobu know. Kingpin is sort of playing on Nobu's, uh, you know, his hubris, his pride you know, as a man, uh, as, uh, as a badass, pretty much, you know, he's trading favors with him. And then he slyly says, you know, you could help me out in this manner. Nobu knows, knows exactly what he's talking about. And Nobu actually jumps at the chance to, um, to try and, uh, kill the devil, kill the, kill Daredevil. You know, he he jumps at the chance. You know, he, he relishes this sort of one-on-one -on -one confrontation that we see in the beginning of the episode and throughout the episode, um, which is a really cool um, editing uh, uh, way of, of uh, constructing this episode. It, it's, it's really cool that, you know, it's only one fight in the whole episode, but the fight is cut in um, various sections of the episode to kind of keep it engaging. Um, this is a very um, talky episode. There's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of internalization of characters going on in this episode. So you have the one action sequence, which is great, by the way, that is um, sprinkled throughout the episode to keep um, uh, the audience engaged in in the idea that there's action going on and the fact that this is leading up to uh, a pretty big confrontation um, between Daredevil and Nobu at the end of the episode. So Kingpin wants to recruit Nobu. The reason why is because he wants to have 
somebody like him as a muscle or as a specialist, as a hired muscle or, or as a specialist. And because eventually he wants authority over the hand. That's Kingpin's angle. That's why Nobu is in Kingpin's inner circle. But the hand might have their own agendas. And so Kingpin is trying to use the hand, the hand vice versa with, with Kingpin. And so it's this fragile alliance of these two evil criminal powerhouses um, trying to use each other for their own for their own means. So um, very, very cool dynamic between uh, Kingpin and uh, Nobu and the hand. Which is represented by Nobu. We don't actually get the hand in this uh, in this season. Who knows if we'll get him in next season? But they are there, and they are presence, and they are coming. Daredevil better watch his back because if one hand can kick his ass that much in one fight, damn! I I can't imagine him taking on an army of ninja which is chronicled in the comics. So here's a cool episode. Matt finds himself uh, chasing up a lead with Wilson Fisk's girlfriend. Oh, man. They kind of make a cute couple for a little second there. She's uh, holding his arm. There's a little intimacy there. It's just my fantasy. It's just where my head is going. They look good together. I think that they would make it as a couple. But there's one big elephant in the room. Sorry, Vincent D'Onofrio. But, you know, she will become Mrs. Fisk. And Matt will go through an endless string of uh, unsuccessful relationships that will turn out in tragedy. He's got a long road ahead of him. But so does Vanessa Fisk. So this is really probably the only time they may be uh, face to face uh, in a uh, in a mutual manner. And they're talking about her profession, art. Wilson Fisk has a uh, connection with a white piece of art for reasons that I covered in the last episode, which is which is really great, amazing. She suggests a piece of art to Matt, which is also kind of uh, connected to his character. All the things that she says about this red piece of art, very, uh, 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 very dangerous, very bold, but very calming and soothing in a way. You know, there's it's the color of the heart. But it's also the color of blood. Uh, all all the things that she says relates to Matt and his character, which is really great. Here's the first confrontation: that grip of Matt's hand. Okay, so that grip of Matt's hand. So what we see is uh, him gripping his hand. Don't know if you've noticed it before in uh, in other movies or anything else. I'll tell you one movie it's in. It's in the Daredevil movie. Oh, yeah. In his first trial scene with Jose Quesada. Not Joe Quesada. 
But Jose Casada, Casada knows that he's off the hook. And Matt is furious. So what does he do? He clutches his uh, his fists around his his walking cane. Now, if you've read the uh, the adaptation of the Daredevil movie, which I have, in the book it says really interesting. It says that in Matt's mind, he's really thinking of uh, of wrapping his fists around. Uh, Casada's neck. So, when he grips his hand in this scene, when he sees Fisk, I imagine that what's going through his mind in this instant is the exact same thing that he wants to wring his fingers around Fisk's neck, uh, which is a really, really brilliant place to put that sort of insert. It's brief, it's dismissive, but I found it for you guys, that little detail. So, isn't that great? He's already dealing with uh, thoughts of murder. He's already stalking Wilson Fisk and the people that he's close to. Matt is seriously close to doing what he feels that he has to, taking a life. But yet he's having a hard time coming to grips with what that can mean and also what consequence that will have not only in Fisk's circle, but in his own. Um, So it's a really uh, great uh, moral uh, dilemma that Matt is struggling with in this episode. One of the reasons that I really love it. One of the reasons why I think that it's great is because he he's not a perfect man. You know, in the Daredevil movie as well, you know, he actually is directly responsible for Jose Casada's murder. He had he had it within his power to save him from the, the, the speeding bullet train or the speeding uh, subway. But he does not. He lets him die. He lets him get cut in half. Um, and he also beats another man who has a father, who, who, has a, um, who has a son. He beats him senseless before he starts to sort of consider the error of his ways. And that's one of the things that really shines through in the Daredevil movie. Whether you watch the director director's cut or the theatrical cut, it's in both versions. He's a guy that wants to take vengeance, but he realizes that it's not his place to do that in the movie. Here, he's struggling with that idea. Is he a bad guy? Is he going to um, sort of use the same methods that Wilson Fisk does? Or is he going to rise above that? Or, you know, is he going to do nothing? Uh, these are really the struggles that he's dealing with. Uh, poor guy. He's uh, he's really at a standstill 
uh, within himself. Um, and the priest is talking to him and trying to sort of beat it in him that he's saying, like, you wouldn't even be here if you were going to murder him. You know, the, the fact that you're here at all in a church asking for permission to kill a, a, a crime lord. You clearly have a, a conscience and you clearly have trouble going through with such an act. And it, it, it's a beautiful uh, couple of scenes that he has with the priest. You really don't get it throughout the whole season. Um, but he does come back to the priest. He does confide in him when he has questions of, uh, of his own morality. And really what the priest is speaking about here is something that spreads across all superheroes, right? Does Captain America kill Iron Man? You know, Batman, you know, in the Nolan uh, trilogy, you know, they talk about him having his one rule, which is not to kill what separates a vigilante from, you know, from from his adversary is that a vigilante is somebody who doesn't take a life because taking a life doesn't subtract from the number of murderers that exist in this world. When you kill a killer it does not subtract the number of killers in the world. Um, and so it, it, it's something that Matt is struggling with because he wants to. But that's not what a, a moral person is. A moral person thinks all kinds of weird thoughts, all kinds of subversive thoughts. But the difference between thinking something and committing an act of something like murder is is a wide gap because a thought doesn't uh, bear the same amount of consequences that an act does. And an act is irreversible. So the, the fact that Matt is trying to find out who he is. Uh, Stephen DeKnight often talks about how he's one bad day away from being Frank Castle. Frank Castle is somebody who takes lives. Somebody who deems lives, uh, you know, worthy of being taken out of this world because of their, uh, because of their, their own sins. But, uh, the the priest is trying to tell Matt two wrongs don't make a right and there's a difference between doing nothing and killing a guy um, so this really leads th this really helps build up the climax episode 13 um, this really helps uh, Matt separate himself from stick uh in episode seven he's not willing to really go that route and he really didn't have to question it until episode seven 
when he was put in a very, very awkward situation. A situation where Nobu seen him and is going to challenge him in this episode and is going to assume that he's uh, in league with Stick. <laughs> and Daredevil will say like, like, hey, like... I'm not a part of, the, you know, me and Stick, you know, we're, you know, uh, he, he can't even explain it because he can't deny that Stick trained him, raised him, you know, that that he takes up a lot from from Stick uh, and his sort of ideologies. He's just, he just doesn't kill people. He just doesn't kill little kids, you know, the way that Stick does. But it's not a little kid, so it makes Stick not a villain, but... Maybe Daredevil's own necessary evil. The way that, you know, Nobu is the necessary evil for, for Wilson Fisk. Maybe Daredevil needs somebody like Stick to get their hands dirty. And there's the insert of his hands gripping his cane. Um, so he's definitely feeling like he wants to murder uh, the kingpin, he's definitely um, motivated in it out of uh, out of emotions of rage. You know, kingpin is de definitely getting on Daredevil's nerves at this point. Daredevil is just he just wants to get this guy. He he really wants to get him, and it's it, it it's very intense, but it doesn't seem intense. Not in this episode. You really have to read between the lines to see what's going on uh, beneath the surface or between the lines. But I'm here to tell you that him gripping his cane, him gripping his fists, you know, there there's a lot going on there uh, internally with Matt. Matt is definitely struggling with 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 wanting to play with Wilson Fist on his level. And the climax of this episode is that he does confess, I am going to kill you. You know, I am going to take your life. Um, but unfortunately, or fortunately, f fortunately for him, he doesn't get the chance to do it. Not in this episode. He gets a chance to do it in the last episode, um, which is why this episode is such a great buildup to that in terms of uh, uh, Matt's moral stance and who he is as a superhero and as a vigil as a vigilante. So the internalization starts here. It, and this is a great scene too here with Wilson Fisk being on television. So he's a public figure now. You know, it started in, in the last episode. He's very much in the in the light of the public he's not hiding so what is he going to do he's going to use the media against daredevil and in this episode the kingpin has a very very specific plan to draw matt out because he knows that He's being more careful with his targets. He can't just uh, commit a, a petty crime 
and get Daredevil to respond, just like he did with the Russians. He carelessly um, and nobly went after uh, the Russians with wild abandon. He just didn't care. Like, oh, there's a there's a boy missing. You know, it could have been like a rag doll, and he would have went out just because he was a um, he. It was very early on in his vigilante career. Um, he wasn't hurt. He was just yearning to sort of make a difference. Um, but here, Wilson Fisk uh, murders Cardenas indirectly, of course. And he's insulting Matt as a terrorist, calling him a coward, saying that he's afraid to step out of the shadows. He's calling him out. And he knows that he is. So Wilson Fisk is being extremely smart and extremely uh, calculated. The dude's a genius. The dude's a genius. To use Nobu, to pit Nobu against Daredevil, and to draw Daredevil out, to get them to meet in the same place, to kill each other off. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. I mean, this is sort of the Kingpin plotting that we're used to seeing in the comics, Frank Miller's run, uh, Brian Michael Bendis's run. Very, very uh, smart um, sort of uh, long plays from Wilson Fisk to try and kill Daredevil. Let's not forget that Daredevil wants to maybe kill Kingpin directly. Wilson Fisk doesn't want to necessarily kill Daredevil directly. He wants to do it indirectly. So to see Daredevil take such personal action and such personal initiative against Kingpin, Kingpin just uses his brain and just says, hey, I've got this ninja <laughs> in my pocket. I'll just use him. So the, the morality gets sort of muddied um, to the audience. But what we see is that Matt questions his methods. The kingpin does not. And Matt doesn't uh, kill anyone, um, which, is, uh, which is very, very um, uh, good restraint to see for a, a Marvel show. Um, I talked a little bit before about uh, Fargo, The Wire, uh, different shows like that. Boardwalk Empire, which Charlie Cox was in before Daredevil. All of those kind of shows have a lot of uh, murders in them. Uh, Dexter comes to mind as well. You know, there's high stakes when murder is involved. And this show tackles that. But it provides a format for Matt to take a position against killing anybody. He is not directly or indirectly responsible for the murder of anyone in this season or anyone probably for the whole series. I, I, I can probably uh, say that right now is that he most likely will not be 
uh, tied directly or indirectly with the murder of anyone, good or bad. Um, and this is a this is a cool moment to where he's taking a moment, you know, he's 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 saying his prayers and he's going out there and this 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 whole montage is really cool um definitely reminds me of uh uh brian michael bendez just going through um you know thug after thug trying to get information trying his work his trying to work his way up to the top trying to find out what what he what he can find out Trying to find the kingpin. He wants to end this now. You know, if Daredevil had his way, the show would have been over in this episode. That's why it's so, um, so good. Is that through his rage, it provides a very potent uh, motivation for Matt to go after kingpin. To where he says enough is enough. Um, and it's just, you see, you see him as a heavyweight, you see, uh, Nobu as a heavyweight. He's the one that really stands in the way between Daredevil and the Kingpin. Going back to some of the conversations that the priest, uh, was talking about, um, you know, he, he mentions uh, Proverbs 25 something. It's actually 25, 26. Um, and, and it's a really cool. Um, it's a really cool uh, passage. Um, Matt says, you know, oh, well, that means that, you know, you know, the good have have to take a stand against the wicked. And the priest wisely corrects him and says, no, that, that, that's one interpretation. Actually, it's the wrong interpretation. Uh, the right interpretation is the, um, the, the interpretation that, uh, the priest gives in saying that, you know, when you, when you, uh, uh, give in to, to anything that you're, conscience tells you not to do you're no better than the the people that you're trying to do it against you know you you know you you talk about like um like robin hood um stealing from the rich giving to the poor it's morally ambiguous and that makes you morally no better and no better of an example to those who come after you than the people that you're stealing from. And so uh, with Matt, the priest is trying to internalize in Matt, trying to uh, trying to um, ask him questions. You know, whenever he asks, whenever he asks Matt a question, he's not saying he's not genuinely asked. It's it's a rhetorical question. Because he wants Matt to come to those conclusions on his own. He wants Matt to internalize the fact that, you know, you know, you don't really want to do this. This is not in your heart. This is not the the road that you want to go down. Um, 
And by the way, Proverbs 25, 26, you go down two more chapters and it says this, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Kind of reminds me of Wilson Fisk, um, which is going to come to a head in the climax of this season, episode 13, which is also another episode that I'm really looking forward to doing. Um, but I got a few episodes to go before that. Uh, and here's the confrontation, the confrontation between uh, Matt and Nobu. There's a lot of CGI going on in this, a lot of great stunt work. Um, so like all the things that are cool about this season is that there's, there's a lot of variety in the way that all the action scenes are shot. Um, you have the one take in the hallway fight scene, uh, in episode two here, um, you have a lot of, um, a lot of things that are sort of blended together. Uh, and this is taking place on the, on the docks which is really cool. I, I really like the docks. Um, it plays a huge, huge part in uh, Frank Miller's run and even a little bit before that. A lot of stuff was happening at the docks. You know, it, it, As a matter of fact, the, the very first action sequence in episode one takes place on the docks. Um, so I really love like the, the callback to the, to the comics. Like the locales, they're there. The, the locations that we see, they are the backdrop. They are in the background. But they are there. And it's cool to see them represented in a, um, in a cool way. Um, there's a lot of cool things going on um, in this episode with the location. Also... Uh, in the foreground, we have these two great opponents. You see Daredevil who's not wearing red yet versus somebody who's wearing red. Um, we know that Elektra is also going to don red. So we're going to have a lot of red, which is something that the Daredevil movie was afraid to approach. Um, they made Elektra essentially her costume essentially out of the reasoning that they didn't want to have a red daredevil and a red Electra, um, you know, on screen together, um, at the same time. Uh, and, and even in, um, in the Electra movie, they also have the hand not in red, but represented in black, which is, um, which is kind of the, you know, the, the typical, like the, um, the chased ninja clan in, in the electric movie is white. Um, good guys. Uh, the hand black bad guys. Um, and then you have Electra and red who's kind of like in between uh, the, the two factions. Um, so that's kind of like a really cool visual. Uh, one really cool dynamic between the, between daredevil and the hand is that the hand when, when a ninja gets killed, um, and if you've seen the Electra movie, you see like the, the, the green mist, they sort of evaporate and, uh, they sort of emit this, uh, green steam or this green smoke. 
Um, we don't see it in this episode when Nobu dies because he is a part of the hand. Um, the The story behind that is that the hand resurrects uh, warriors. And so they're sort of like uh, zombies who are sort of loyal to the hand. So that way when they're kind of killed again, they sort of turn into this uh, green uh, ball of smoke. Um, in this episode, we don't see that. So we don't know if Nobu is um, uh, somebody who is living out his first life or if he was somebody that is was was resurrected. And we just don't see that green smoke. It, it's not represented here in this episode. Um, but that's kind of the story behind like the hand. Whenever you kill one of their ninjas, they're supposed to go up in a poof of smoke. And they typically only go for warriors of the past. They resurrect them. They recruit them to the hand. And then they send them out fighting just like Nobu. So, so we don't know if this guy is from you know from like feudal japan you know from like i don't know like from the 14th century or something like that um we don't know if he was uh you know somebody who was alive in this day um but the dynamic between daredevil and the hand is that daredevil doesn't kill and so um so daredevil doesn't know uh about the hand and they remain elusive to him because he doesn't know about the whole green smoke thing at least not in this series i'm i'm talking about in this series he fights a ninja you know he's in flames he's done for that's it you know nothing else is revealed to the audience or to daredevil because he's not a killer uh, at least not to Nobu. Um, and so, you know, he wants to kill Kingpin. That That's going to be stated here. Kingpin is saying that, you know, he can't quiet his mind. This is really cool. I like how he turns his head. He doesn't even look directly at Daredevil. He points at him, but he has his head facing down. Um, uh, very uh, evoking uh, of the comics as well. Brian Michael Bendis definitely... Um, the way he's drawn uh, and sort of his mannerisms. Um, I spoke about how genius uh, the Kingpin is. Some people have actually suggested that the Kingpin of this series, of this season, is actually a hyper genius operating on some sort of mental level to where uh, some parts of his brain function acutely. And other parts of his brain, you know, he's not all there in some parts of his brain. There are, there are defects to his um, to his brain that that make him look like he's, you know, just like not even there. But he's just sort of on this other crazy level of of thinking, and that's obviously um, that's obviously evident in this episode because he is. Uh, spun this web for Daredevil uh, to fall into. And uh, now Fils uh, Wilson Fisk has him <laughs> right where he wants him, pretty much. 
I mean, this is this is brutal to watch. This is this is their first confrontation. You know, we get the um, the backstory of Kingpin in the last episode. We know where he's coming from, but it's established early on that he's not shy about getting blood on his hands and taking matters into his own hands and killing somebody. He says it's disappointing. Well, you know, you shouldn't have let him fight Nobu first. You know, Nobu's a part of the hand. He's no joke. Um, and so, I don't know. The, the Kingpin is really not taking any chances. Um, he had Nobu fight Daredevil before him. He has Wesley trying to finish him off after him. Um, great shot of the docks there. Um, so Daredevil faces all of these opponents and he survives and he's lucky about that because he's just one guy. He doesn't have his, uh, his costume yet, his suit that's going to protect him the way that, uh, Wilson Fisk's suit has protected him. Daredevil's lucky to be alive at this point. No doubt about it. Uh, Wilson Fisk also says, um, Take your shot. You know, this line will be mirrored in the uh in the in the um in the last episode, uh, another connection to episode 13, which is titled Daredevil. To me, it it sounds like something Bullseye would say rather than Kingpin. You know, Bullseye is the kind of guy who has a bullseye literally on his forehead. Um whether it's branded, tattooed, or on his costume. He has a bullseye right on his forehead. It's almost as if he's daring somebody to take a shot at it, at him. Bullseye is just that sort of cocky and confident in his abilities to absorb any attack, but also put you down himself. So it, it's really cool that Kingpin, it, it's a little out of character to me when Kingpin says it, but it just speaks to how in the open the kingpin has become, you know, he's a public figure and he's announced himself as a clear adversary to the devil. Um, and that's the really cool uh, climax is that Matt sees kingpin as a devil. Wilson Fisk sees uh, this vigilante as a devil, you know, and that's the whole sort of um uh, angle that uh, Stephen DeKnight was going for from the get-go. This sort of morally ambiguous, ambiguous who do you root for kind of uh, play against these two characters, um, which is really, really great. Um, and this is uh, just a little scene that's going to connect it to um, or, or, or set up... Uh, Foggy realizing that the devil of hell's kitchen, the person that he's been talking shit about is really his law partner. And so the dynamic of that and how that plays out in, in the next episode, this is just the setup for that. It connects it, you know, and, and it's one of the cool things that Netflix does 
and makes you want to watch the next episode. This is kind of almost like a little preview. I mean, episode nine ended about like a couple of minutes ago, but this is just a setup uh, made for the binge watching experience. It leaves you with a cliffhanger and it makes you want to watch the next one. And so in the next one, it will be Nelson versus uh, Murdoch. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Fucking right, fucking right. So it, it's, it's going to be friend against friend. Here we go.